during the time of Hosea here, Israel was divided up into two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And throughout, that's important to know because throughout the course of Hosea's work of a, as a prophet, for he was chosen as a prophet of God to speak the things concerning God so that, we, uh, uh, so that uh, Israel would know what God thinks about their situation. But he's speaking unto the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, it had become a nation that had relied itself complete, uh, relied on itself and had completely ruled God out of the picture during that time. They were heavily involved in idolatry, as we're going to see later on. And they had, they had become religiously corrupt, they had become politically corrupt, and they had also become morally corrupt in their ways. Well, when we look specifically at the book of Hosea and the situation that the northern kingdom of Israel was in during this time, one word could sum it all up. And as Hosea writes, they were involved in the word harlotry. In fact, he uses the word harlotry 13 times in order to show that the sins that they had committed towards their betrothal to God. They had committed spiritual adultery towards their husband, which was God. And we're going to see how that came into play a little, uh, a little later on. Well, in our study this morning, I want to be looking at the first three chapters, just in brief summary, to understand this great picture that is happening with Hosea and his, and his wife and also uh, and also uh, uh, an analogy with that. So number one, we're going to see Hosea takes a wife and there's his, her name is Gomer. And then secondly, we're going to see that that marriage is used as an analogy between the relationship of God and the relationship with Israel. How Israel was betrothed to God. And throughout the course of our study as well, you may be wondering what those two words are up on the board. Well, we're going to see the meanings of those words and the significance of those words as we progress through the study this morning. And so, as this book opens, as we begin to look at the beginning of here, chapter 1, it says once again, beginning at verse number 2, When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter uh, of Deblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, like I said, this is one of the most interesting verses of the entire Bible that, that I've come across. Reason being, being is because, once again, here is God telling this prophet, Hosea. He says, you go find this woman. And it's just not any ordinary woman that you find or a woman of your choice but you go take this particular woman she's going to commit harlotry or she's going to commit adultery against you and that's quite interesting because that sort of goes against the grain of what we sort of offer as uh, 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 as a as a recommendation towards someone else saying we don't we don't go tell people go marry someone who's going to commit adultery towards you we tell people go go uh, marry a woman or a man who is going to be faithful to you is who's going to help you spiritually but God didn't say that to Hosea 
And there's, there's a reason why God, did, uh, God told him what he did here. It's because this marriage between Hosea and Gomer was to be a symbol of God's relationship or marriage to Israel as we see here at the end of verse number two. Because Israel had committed a great harlotry and was in great judgment for punishment. And this was the very key to understanding the rest of the first three chapters which we're going to study this morning. We must understand this relationship between God and Israel about this marriage relationship. Now, we find here that Hosea goes and he does take uh, Gomer as his wife and we find that they have three children. Now, I want you to notice something that as we discuss these names of these three children, they did not have the liberty to name the children whatever names they wanted to. There's a reason for that too. God told them to give them specific names and they would hold great symbolism to what God's actions are throughout this book. And so they have a son, the firstborn being a son, and God tells them, you name him Jezreel. And so they named him Jezreel, and this word Jezreel means God scatters or God sows. And this is shown for God's future punishment on the ruling house of Israel, which we see here in verses 4 and 5, where God would scatter or he would sow all the people everywhere and to scatter them abroad. And so that's why he said, you name that son Jezreel. We find later on, as we continue in verse number 6, that they have a second child. And that child was a daughter. And they, uh, God told them to name that daughter Lo-Ruhamah. Now, there's significance to this name. Because Lo-Ruhamah means no mercy. Now this symbolizes that God will not show mercy on Israel due to their wicked practices yet. As he says here, he will show mercy to Judah, which was the southern uh, kingdom at that time as we've already established. And so understanding that, they have a third child. And that third child was a son and God told them to, to name him Lo-Ami which means not my people. Now this is shown for God declaring his rejection of Israel in that they were no longer his people. Why? Simply because they had departed from the Lord. That's why. They were no longer his people. And so here we have the foundation of the entire book of Hosea just in these first few chapters, or first few verses rather, in this first chapter. It, we find that Hosea marries Gomer. We find that God gives them names to the three children. And all this symbolizes the relationship between God and Israel. But though, after, after establishing that foundation to the rest of the book, I want you to listen to what God says next to Israel as he speaks through his prophet Hosea unto them. He says, beginning at verse number 10, he says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as a sand of the sea, which shall not be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land, 
For great will be the day of Jezreel. Then it says in chapter 2 and verse 1, Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. You see, within this context here of this great news to Israel, really, God says that one day Israel is going to be restored. One day it's going to happen. He said the number of the children of Israel are going to be countless. He, 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 uh, he explains that they're going to be as countless as the sands of the sea. And of course, when we go to the shore, we see all the little granules of sand there on the shore. And you just can't count all that. It's just innumerable. But that's how the children of Israel are going to be. They're going to be those who were not God's people that would become God's people during this time. And God will have shown his mercy unto all during this time as well. So this is a change. God says, first of all, you are not my people, but now people are going to be his people. And he says, I'm not going to show mercy unto you by naming these two children, but now he is going to show mercy. But there's significance to this prophecy. The significance to this prophecy is that it has already happened. It already has. This is a prophecy that's already been fulfilled, and we know this. Why? Because the writers of the New Testament say so. In fact, Romans chapter 9, as Paul writes here in Romans, in Romans chapter 9, he begins in verse number 22, and listen to what he says here, and he's going to quote Hosea and what we have just read from Hosea, and listen to the application that is made about this prophecy. Hosea chapter 9, beginning at verse number 22, says this. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles? And then listen to what he says in verse 25. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass, to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they will be called sons of the living God. If that isn't enough proof for you in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 10, this is another reference to the book of Hosea, as Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, verse 10. says, who, were once, uh, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so we have the contrast. People not receiving mercy back uh, before, but now receiving mercy People not being people before, but now are God's people. And so what does this all mean? What is Hosea saying here as he's saying that Israel is going to be restored? Well, they're all teaching that not only the Jews are going to be part of God's people of the covenant, but it includes the Gentiles as well. Gentiles can now be called God's people. Gentiles can now be uh, can now have mercy shown upon them by God. You see, the, uh, they can now be called sons of the living God because they are part of the covenant. Well, Hosea said that this would come true, and certainly it did. And we should be so thankful for that because, you know why? 
Most of us, maybe all of us, are Gentiles. And because of that, we can be called His people. And God will show His mercy upon us. That's why. And not just the Jews only, but we, even Gentiles, can be, can be called sons of the living God and become that. That's why. But though, after giving this future hope here in Hosea, as he says, Israel's going to be restored one day, and we know when that time came. But after giving this future hope, Hosea relays to Israel, uh, to, uh, to Israel of why God is bringing judgment upon them. And he says here, from verses 2 through 13, about Israel's unfaithful practices. Now, as this section begins here, it is plainly stated that Israel is no longer God's wife, and God is no longer uh, his husband, uh, her husband. And the reason for the separation is because of this one idea, is because of Israel's harlotry. And through these verses, from verses 2 through 13, the most prevalent sin which Israel committed, harlotry, was through the practice of idolatry by worshiping Baal. And because of their practice, Hosea mentions three punishments that are going to come from God. And the first punishment is this, and found in verse number 7, is that God will prevent Israel from finding her lovers. Now, when he uses lovers here, it is not in a literal sense, but it is in a figurative sense because we've got the figurative sense between this relationship between God and Israel about this marriage. But these lovers are these sins that Israel is committing against God. He said, I'm going to prevent you from finding your lovers or from sinning from me, uh, against me. But not only that, the second reason or the second punishment is found in verses 9 through 10 which God says he will take away the blessings and the feasts that Israel enjoyed. And not only that, the third reason found in verse number 12 is that God will destroy what Israel has used to even commit spiritual harlotry. He's going to take that very thing away. But listen to what chapter 2 verse 13 says. Chapter 2 and verse 13 says this, I will punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense, she decked herself and her earrings with jewelry, and she went after her lovers. But listen to this next phrase. But me she forgot, says the Lord. <clears throat> Israel forgot her husband. Israel was so caught up in going after her lovers and committing all kinds of sin that she forgot who her husband was. The Almighty God. And that's sad. That's sad to see. But you know, after stating this, God will not be done with Israel after these things. His love for Israel is so great that even though after she has done all these things, God declares that He wants her back. He wants her back. He wants her to be restored so bad. And so this is where we find in the very next section between verses 14 through 23 of where we find that God is showing or wants to show his mercy upon Israel. You see, God's wish and desire for Israel is that she be faithful to him. He wants her back, and this is how much he loves her. And Hosea describes how, how God is going to do this. There are four different reasons here, or four different ways he's going to do this. In verses 14 and 15, 
we find, number one, that God will allure Israel and win her back just as he did in the days of Joshua and also in the days of Moses. Now, when we recall back in the days of Moses when he called Israel out of Egypt, they praised God and proclaimed that they wanted to be his people and that he would be their God. And God wanted this very thing to be restored as it was back then. He wanted that relationship back and did not want Israel to break it anymore. He wanted it to stay firm. But not only that, he gives another way. Found in verses 16 and 17. He states that, that he will cure Israel of using the language of Baal worship. You see, this was the remedy of their sin. He saw the problem and was going to provide a cure so that it would not happen again. It had to be replaced. And so we find this, but also a third reason, and found in verses 18 through 20, is that God will establish a covenant of peace and safety and betroth Israel to him once again. But not only that, the fourth thing that we find here, beginning uh, or from verses 21 through 23, is that God will once again bless Israel and be merciful to them, and they will again be his people. Now notice the contrast between this verse and what we saw back in chapter 1 as we're looking at this particular section where God names the children uh, back, then, back there in chapter 1. Remember, lo ruhamah means no mercy, but now God declares that he will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy, found in verse number 23. There's that contrast. But not only that, Remember the name of Loami, meaning not my people? Well, God now says to those who were not my people that they are his people now, and they shall declare that he is their God. There's that contrast again with these two names. And all these things show a future hope for Israel because God's love for Israel is so much that he wants that betrothal to be rekindled between him and Israel once again. But while we're here in this particular section, I want to notice something that was said in verses 8, 19, and 20. And I find it's, we need to, uh, uh, we need to uh, take a look at these two verses because there are five key words here that play an important role in two different areas of our lives. I want you to listen to verse 19 and 20. It says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Here we find five key words that once again can play a part in two different areas of our lives. The first part is that in our spiritual lives with God, and the second part is, the, is uh, being five foundation stones for a healthy marriage between us and our spouse. And so because of that, let us look at these five words just briefly that Hosea provides. Because remember, there is that relationship between God and Israel. And these five things had to become a part of Israel's life in order to have a, a healthy relationship with God. And these could be five foundation things that can, that can have us ha have a healthy relationship with God and also our spouse. There's that number one of righteousness. And this is being morally and naturally right. 
And you do this by showing what is good and being in the right. Now, being righteous to God is doing simply what He wills and abiding by that. And in being righteous in a marriage, we show that uh, we show that we are uh, free of guilt from any wrong in our marriage. And that's how we are righteous with God, and that's how we are righteous with our spouse. But secondly, he mentions that of justice. And this goes hand in hand with righteousness, but it carries more of the idea of being fair of what we deserve. In our relationship to God, as long as we are being right in our walk with Him, we can be just, or He can be just, in blessing us for good. And the opposite is true if we do wrong. We, are, we receive a just punishment if we do wrong. Now, in our marriage, we deserve what we reap, and we need to be fair concerning the right or wrong that we do or that our spouse does to us. And then there is that of loving kindness, as he mentions here, and this is an act done to someone to help them out or to bless them. And this is done with no anticipation of receiving anything back from that particular individual. Well, when we do this in our spiritual lives uh, to God, by worshiping, uh, we do this by worshiping Him and honoring Him, as we live by helping others that are in need. We help others in need. And we give God the glory when we do that. And that's how we show our loving kindness unto other people. The same applies for us in marriage. We are to show loving kindness to our spouse by helping them out or doing something for them with no anticipation from getting anything back from our spouse. That's how we show loving kindness. There's that number four, mercy, and this is shown by us towards an individual who has wronged us. We show mercy by forgiving them. And you know what? The greatest lesson that we could ever reflect, up, uh, reflect on upon this idea of mercy is God having mercy upon us by sending his son to die on the cross. After we had wronged him, he still forgave us anyway. And that's the mercy that God had shown unto us. Well, because of that, we are to show mercy upon other people as well in, in, our, in our spiritual lives. And as we do that, we must also forgive our spouse for the wrongs that may, they may do to us and just simply don't hold them to their account anymore, but just forgive them. But there is that of faithfulness, number five, that Hosea mentions here. And this carries the idea of loyalty and helps us to be true to our agreement. And this is a huge key word. Loyalty or, or faithfulness. In our relationship with God, we must be faithful to our agreement that we made with him. And in, in that when we obeyed the gospel, whether we realized it or not, we agreed to abide by his word and never leave him nor forsake him. And the same goes toward our marriages. We must show faithfulness by being loyal to our spouse and, be, uh, and by being true to those vows that we gave to our spouse. And if we fail on that, we fail to be faithful, which was Israel's sin. We fail to be faithful in that area. And so, let it be known that these are five fundamental elements to both our relationship to God and also our relationship to our spouse and should have been in the lives of these people of Israel in their relationship with the Almighty God, as he was their husband. But though, on to chapter 3, where we find something that is so beautiful that happens here. 
We've talked about Hosea marrying Gomer and how that all symbolized the relationship between God and Israel. But listen to what happens in chapter 3 here. In the first three verses, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. You know what happens here? After all that she had done to the marriage between, uh, to, to, uh, to Hosea, by committing adultery and breaking their vow, Hosea loves Gomer enough to be joined together with her. God said, you go take her back. And so he did. And so he bought her for the price of a slave, and she was put under probation for a while in order to prove herself back to Hosea. Well, understanding that, the same thing happened between God and Israel. God accepted Israel back, as we just read in verse number 1. But, listen to verse 4 and 5. He says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. You see, God will accept Israel back just as Hosea accepted Gomer back as his wife. But though, once Israel would accept her, uh, once God would accept Israel back, there'd be a probation period just as there was a probation period for Gomer. In fact, he explains what this probation period is all about. He says they will be without kings, they will be without priests, they will be without sacrifices, they will be without sacred pillars, among other things. But though, after this probation period, Israel will then return to the Lord and David their king. And he, when he mentions David their king, this is most likely a, refer, a reference to the Messiah at this particular time. They will, re, they will look to Jesus as their Messiah and as their king. Their spiritual king is there, part of that uh, spiritual kingdom. But though, what a beautiful picture this is, that God has so much love for Israel that he wants her back in order to restore a relationship with her. He wants her back. Even though all the things that she had done. Well, what applications can we make today concerning this story and the situation that was in between God and Israel. Well, whether we realize it or not, we too are in a betrothal. Just as Israel was in with God, we too are in the same relationship. For we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning of verse number 2 there, it says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul is implying here 
Those who are children of God are betrothed to Christ. We have that spiritual relationship with him. And so understanding that, listen to what he says in the very next verse. In verse number 3, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I fear, lest somehow as a serpent deceived thee by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He's implying here that even though they're betrothed to Christ, they could possibly break that relationship with him by sinning. He feared that in those people there at Corinth. And the same is true about us. We could commit spiritual harlotry even towards Christ, just as Israel did. You know, Israel had committed a spiritual harlotry toward God, and we could do the same if we are not careful today. You see, Israel's main problem was a practice of idolatry. That was their main problem. But they were guilty of other things as well as this book progresses. But even though idolatry is really not prevalent among us today, we must be careful that we do not let things come between us and Christ lest we commit spiritual harlotry or adultery just as Israel did. And how can things become, uh, come between us and Christ? Well, there are several things that, uh, that can happen where that is the result. In fact, there are five Ps which, uh, uh, which may be possible. There's that in number one, possessions. We may have focus on material gain, which that focus on material gain becomes greater than our focus upon Christ, and that could come between us and Christ and break that, uh, break that relationship. There is that of people where, uh, where we have uh, bad influences from without, and that could become a factor. There could be that of passions where we have a love for sin greater than we have a love for Christ. There is that, number four, of practices, which is the act of carrying out that love for sin. There is also that of uh, number five, pride, and thinking that we are better than, we're, than what we really are, and thinking we are in the right of what we do, even though we may be in the wrong of what we do. There's just five general things of where we could possibly ruin that relationship. It's quite possible. But remember, our agreement when we obeyed the gospel was that we would be true to his word and abide by it on a daily basis. So in the end, we would inherit the reward of heaven. And if we break that agreement, then we, do, we just do ourselves harm and let it be known that one of these days punishment is going to be coming for us just as it came for the children of Israel. Punishment's going to come for us if we choose to break that agreement between us and Christ. And that's a scary thing. I want you to notice something, though. Throughout this book, along with the other books of the Minor Prophets, and previously we studied from Amos when I was here last, which is a part of the Minor Prophets, and Hosea is part of the Minor Prophets as well. But throughout the books in the Minor Prophets, the overall theme is love. It is God's love for Israel. And he loves her so much and wants the very best for her. But at times... She disobeyed God, and God had to punish her. Now, in my mind, not, not to confuse analogies here or to mix them up, but in my mind, it's like the relationship between a parent and a child. Israel sinned, and God had to punish her. Just as, you know, parents today, when, when children disobey, it's the parent's duty to punish the child. 
And the reason for that is not because the parent enjoys doing something like that, but because to show that love so that that child would not do wrong anymore and that child will learn to do right. And one of the ways that, that or one of the reasons why we, we do things like that, I'm not a parent yet, but one of the reasons why that, that is, is so that maybe they would stay away from harm. And we know the best for them. And perhaps they would learn the best for themselves too as they learn to do what is right. And that's the case with God. You know, sometimes we may think, well, God is an angry God. God is, he punishes all the time. Well, the reason why he punished Israel so much was so that maybe they would learn a lesson to do what is good. He did not want them to sin. And he punished them so that maybe they would learn to do what he wills in order to rekindle that relationship back with him. And so, that is why we find this relationship or, or, the, or this scene of God's love so much for the children of Israel and he has that same love for us, for us as well. He wants the very best for us. And when we sin at times, he's not going to like it. And sometimes we have to reap what we sow upon this, upon this earth. But the overall theme is love and that he wants the very best and he wants that relationship restored if we even break it. That's what he wanted for Israel. Now, when we, look at, when we look at the punishment of God and with Israel, let me ask you this. Do you think God enjoyed punishing Israel? Of course not. And do you think God enjoys punishing us today? I don't think so. But ultimately, we do know people will be sent to hell because of their wicked deeds. And my question to you is this. Seeing the love that God has for his people, do you think God is going to enjoy sending people to hell on that judgment day? He's not. And one verse comes to mind when thinking about that. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says that he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. You see, that is the kind of God that we serve. He loves us so much, just as he did Israel and, wants, and does not want us to fall to sin. But if we do fall to sin, let it be known that he is ever willing to accept us back so that we can become sons of the living God again. We can have that relationship restored. And so this morning, as we draw these things to a close this morning, let it be known. If you are not a child of God, He wants a relationship with you. He does. All you have to do is your own action by obeying the gospel of Christ. Obeying the gospel of Christ, obeying, uh, uh, just understanding, having faith that Christ came to this world that he lived a sinless life and he died for you, was buried and was resurrected so that you can have that relationship with him so that you would be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternity in hell and that you can have a home in heaven. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ 
at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.